0: Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from enjoy the show. Our guest today is Cassandra Crow Jackson, Chief Experience Officer at Sharp Healthcare. Cassandra, welcome to Healthcare Soothsayers. Thank you, Bonnie. Happy to be here. And I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today. Can you tell us
1: a little bit about what you do? Because it's pretty cool. I am the Chief Experience Officer with SHARP Healthcare in San Diego, California. And in that role, I have um, the responsibility for creating the renowned SHARP experience, keeping that culture alive, ensuring that we are creating and designing experiences to make sure we continue to be renowned for the SHARP experience. And then shoring up our leaders and our workforce and our physician partners to be ready to deliver a great experience, every person, every time.
0: And that's exciting. I love that because obviously being in the healthcare space, it really is an ecosystem where there are so many equally important parts. So it's really cool because you and I have known each other a long time. So you do an amazing job.
1: Thank you. I love what I do and that's the blessing of it all.
0: Well, in, in that shows, and I know that you've been doing some really great work around the patient experience and particularly focusing on the human connection. And you're looking at, at least based on our conversations here, I'm, I'm putting this thought out there because I want you to highlight and elaborate on it, but building stronger connections with the patient and their family as kind of their own system. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that one of the things we learned during COVID, especially when we went through the phase where families couldn't come to the hospital, visitors couldn't come to the hospital, was how powerful that continuum of care is to healing, to overall healing. And as much as technology is a plus in what we do, we need to make sure that we are seeing people as individuals and that their family is felt to be feels that they are an important part of this whole paradigm. So I believe in the, in the future, in this, in this new norm, we're going to, as an industry, have to look for ways to ensure that we are including the whole, the entity of, of the family. So when we say that patient-centered care, that we really mean patient and family-centered care and that we're very purposeful and intentional with what we do and how we work to include the family in, in that new dynamic, because I think it's going to be a long way. It will go a long way if we focus on that towards rebuilding trust and confidence in healthcare and in healthcare professionals as caregivers. Um, because a lot has been lost, you know, in the in this time of COVID and the surges, and um, people have just gotten busy, and some of the nuances. You know have gone away and we want to make sure we are mindful of how we bring those back and intentional about how we measure that and ensure that it is happening consistently
0: do you have any ideas on how we can do that and i'm asking from the lens of you started this podcast by talking about the sharp experience and it's every patient every day How do you build in place systems that allow for that deep connection with not only patients and their families on a really consistent, predictable basis?
1: And and I think that is a great question, Bonnie. And that is one of the things I think we are grappling with and learning right now. And I will say for us at Sharp, it really started with a very keen awareness of where our staff was. You know, emotionally, right now, it, it's been hard this last, you know, year, little over a year plus, on the spirit of everybody. But healthcare workers, especially, have been at the front lines. So we are seeing, you know, record levels of burnout and stress and compassion fatigue and all these things that we've talked about and had classes about. But really, now we are teaching our leaders how to recognize the signs of stress and someone even though they may not say it but they're they're um, demonstrating signs of stress how to work through that and how to deal with it and giving people actual skills and toolkits of how to do that because if we don't care for our team we can never expect that we're going to get to a great patient experience because you know you, you can't pour from an empty cup so we are looking at Um, We we started this series of training called Stress First Aid, and we are actually dosing that periodically with leaders, one, so that we as leaders are checking on each other as a support system, and that we really are giving people access to the tools. The tools have always been there. We've always had our chaplains and our mental health professionals and social workers and EAP, etc. But when you're afraid and busy, that's really not your first frame of mind to do that. So we're, we're, we believe that when you put that emphasis there, at least for a focused amount of time right away, and then you know um, weave it in, and then we can start weaving in. And this is how we expect that to keep going. So that when you get families back into the um, hospitals, into the entities, you can recognize the signs of stress in the family member as well. And you can check yourself and pause and respond and react a little bit differently so that we are remembering that this person is why we are here. And then we can start making purposeful ways of including people in the care team. And you know, we've, uh, h- hospitals have long had patient family advisory councils, but they've typically been retirees who come and meet for lunch once a month and get a presentation. And what we're wanting to do is to really create a different kind of paradigm of what a patient family advisor looks like and how they could interact. And again, using technology for some of those exchanges as well, so that we can get the voice of everybody who's been in our doors and create different kinds of connections. And that will take some time and some true process improvement thinking of what that looks like and how do we measure it which is why I'm always glad we have performance improvement teams who can help us think through how are we really going to measure? We, we can create the class and we can create the training and we can give you the toolkits, but how can we measure the outcome at the end? Obviously, will be your, your patient experience scores or net promoter or HCAPS or what have you. But how are we going to measure the process that we really are doing what we say, that we're making this the best place to receive care? And that's such
0: a great point, Cassandra, because I love the fact that you're focused not only on the stress and intentionality of your employees, but also to help employees take notice of the stress of patients and their families. Because Mm -hmm. so often we get really absorbed into what we're doing and how we're delivering care, and sometimes forget about paying attention
1: to family members. Exactly. And when someone becomes unruly, which is typically a fear-based response, then we get reactive and defensive and our reaction and response comes across totally not what we mean. And so if we can start with recognizing stress in ourselves and, our, and the people we work with and care about, we hope that will translate into, okay, now I can see why this family member may be behaving in a certain way and how can i respond to that differently to you know to repair and rebuild trust you're exactly right and i love that sort of the the punctuation
0: around trust because we so often take that for granted and i think we have to earn that
1: yes i agree bonnie i think right now um as i said just in in our In our culture right now, there is a a lot of angst, and mistrust, and judgment. And I think it's just because we're all feeling a little out of pocket with everything going on. It is going to take some focused effort on kindness, and compassion, and gratitude, and awareness of the humanity in others. So recognizing that, I think that that part that we're doing right now of saying, we need to come up for air and focus on the stress of the people at the front lines. And even those, you know, we're, we're, I think in healthcare, we look at the doctors and the nurses, but we have this whole community of people who are now working from home in a very different world than what, they've used, what they used to work in. And so we, we're, we also recognize that people who um, used to come in and the workplace was your social center, that's gone now. And so, really taking that step to pause and consider your workforce and the dynamics they're going through and what they need, I believe, is a really good place to start when we think about coming out of this COVID conundrum and moving into this the new norm, as we're referring to it.
0: I think that that was very well said, because you know, kind of we all air quote our new normal, because really it's kind of our post COVID normal. Right. So it is going to be, it is going to be interesting. I do want to switch gears here on you just a little bit. I know that we talk a lot about collecting data on social determinants and how social determinants and patient experience are linked. Can you share with us a little bit about your, your thoughts on where we're going to be evolving with social determinants, data, and the actual patient experience? Where are we going to be going
1: down that road? Oh, that's a great question, Bonnie. And, I, and again, I take it back to the whole paradigm of human experience, because I think for a long time in healthcare, we've collected data on, on demographics of race or age or what have you. But I think now we'll, it'll be incumbent upon us to dig deeper into that. You know, when you look at your workforce, what percent is are Asian Americans right now? And how are we interacting with that population to make sure they're feeling good and feeling safe and protected at work? And when we start digging deeper and we start looking at what we've collected for patients, I think we've collected it in all sorts of ways because the one thing we do in healthcare is we collect a lot of data. That data doesn't necessarily always talk to each other. And so we are working right now with our, um, our ISD warehouse data warehouse team to say, what have we been collecting all of these years and how can we put that together in a different way so that when Ms. Crow Jackson presents to my Care, I can see something that says, "This is what we know about this person." You know, more than just this is her diagnosis. This is who, what we know about this individual based on her interactions with us in the past, so that we can then start tailoring experiences differently. And we, I think, we also are going to have to look at just where we are in society. Um, I'm so happy at Sharp. We have a, a team called the Sharp. Equality Alliance, which has long focused on um, looking at the differences amongst in our, in our world, in our workforce, and talking about it, and starting the safe speak, the ability to talk and say, I'm feeling this way about what's going on, because that dialogue has now um, started to translate to that team saying, but how do we now take this beyond our workforce? into what we are doing for our patients and families because we know there are things um, such as um, the high maternal child death rate amongst african-american women well we have you know 10 percent of the population who are african-american women how do we account for that when they walk through our doors and we already know that fear and anxiety is going to be there what training are we going to need to give our team to know how to have the conversation and more so what training or what tools can we give that that patient or family to say, we get you, we see you, we are working with you. And that, again, pulls back to why we want to have that family as a relevant, powerful voice in what we are doing to design that care experience going forward.
0: Well, and what I think is so powerful about that is that we... On the, on the healthcare side, right, being a nurse and having been a CNO for many years, I think we would love the assistance to say, we want to create a partnership with you. We want you to have a great experience. We want you to hold us accountable. And we're going to do our best job, but we want you to have good outcomes. Exactly. So how do we do that
1: together? That's the key, Bonnie. And, and I don't know, you know, in your years as a CNO, have, did that ever happen before? I, I think we have the intention to do the absolute best for our patients, and but I don't know that we ever had that level of conversation.
0: I think we're afraid of the transparency of that because somehow it infers that maybe we don't know what we're doing, and that means dot, 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 we're setting someone up to sue us. Right. So there is a lot of fear still hanging around um, from a world that has been You know, sometimes it feels very Sue crazy. On the, on the other hand, we have to ensure that we do provide the best care to every patient. And we already know that in our own country, the outcomes of African-American women post childbirth are worse. So Mm -hmm. that means we should intervene differently and
1: do something different. Right. And at least, and I believe that starts with better communication. And and I think maybe giving our, our workforce the tools to have the conversation and, and to do so in a way that it doesn't feel like you're saying I'm wrong or we are wrong or we could possibly harm you because that's never the intent. But I think also letting uh, our patients know we want to hear your voice. We are going to acknowledge it and we're going to respond differently. And just, I think we, we have to be at that place. Um, and I, am hoping in the future, just as we're having these kind of safe speak conversations with our, our workforce, with our staff, that we would have a focus group of African-American women or, you know, any other dynamic, you know, I'm thinking of sickle cell patients who have kind of the same paradigm of being labeled, um, pain seekers and really dig deep into you know what does that feel like? And, um, and that's where I think your, your PFACs can come in handy because I've seen when, when people or patients who have actually been a patient and had that experience can share how it made them feel, it has been a, a changer, a powerful changer of behavior um, from, from the caregivers because again, nobody comes to work with the intent to do harm. I, you know, I, I think it's more traumatic for a caregiver when things go awry than people ever will, will know. Um, and, Absolutely. and I've seen it. Yeah.
0: And I like what you said a, a few minutes back about social determinants, because it feels like once we use the data to actually make improvements and changes to the system and Cassandra, you know, and I know we've been collecting Social determinant data for fifteen or twenty years. Right now, we need to actually do something with it to exactly. to make some of those what feels like handcuffs. We have to make it better. We know there are maternal deserts, right? Mm-hmm. Maternal care deserts. We have to make changes to that instead of just expecting different outcomes.
1: Exactly. And and we have a team. We have care teams. I mean, I am so wowed by the millennial and Gen X Y Z. Nursing nurses who are like we can do this. You know we know we have the technology, we have the ability, we have the information. Just show me the path, show me how to do it. So I'm encouraged to see that you know it's not just me, this non-clinical patient experience person over here, is saying we need to do this, but that it's actually our care team saying we need to do this. Help us get the data. That, and, and again, like you're saying, we have it. It just hasn't been packaged in something that's easy for a frontline caregiver to use, and that we give our teams so much information all the time. It is it, it's it's overwhelming to me, and I'm looking just at my emails to think, what is the frontline nurse who's you know I'm, I'm thinking of the new grad right out of school, just trying to learn her job and protect her license, and now having all of this extra stuff to deal with. And how do we do that in a, um, you know, a thoughtful way that we are saying, be aware of this. Here is where your tools are, but we don't expect you to have the answer for everything. Nobody has the answer for everything.
0: So if you had to give us kind of uh, just a a few little tips on how to use the data or find the data, package it in a way that it could be more actionable to make patient experiences better. What would you, how would you advise us on that? What would you say?
1: I, you know, there are data gurus born every day. I, you know, I, I'm sometimes overwhelmed when I talk to them and they start talking techies and I'm not necessarily sure, but what I am finding is my dream hub of data analytics. There are people already working out there to create that. And that sharp. Our data analytics team has created what we call the hub. And pretty much all of those key indicators are right there where, I mean, it's, it is so easy that it's really a click and drill and click and drill and click and drill. So I believe we have people who can create it for us. If what you're, you know, to our point earlier, it is. Oh so we've already been collecting this disparity data where does it live because it's probably living over in a quality data warehouse and how do we transfer that over to the patient experience warehouse or do we move the patient experience data over there I don't know the tech ease behind it but I know that it's it's possible because when I talked to um the VP over that that data analytics team, he's like, yeah, we can do that. I've been doing that for for another organization for years. It's just, you know, nobody really has thought until necessity, you know, which is the creator of all ingenuity, said, hey, something's going on in the world. We've got to look at things differently now. So I think it's just going to require some true thought leaders um, from, from the patient experience world from the voices of our patients and families, from, from clinical um, expertise to sit in, in a think tank kind of environment when we can be in person again and say, if you could dream this, what would that look like? And, and build it. Mm-hmm. I, I can guarantee you, Bonnie, if you and I thought of an app right now and talked about it on this call, somewhere in Silicon Valley, someone will be creating that app by the end of the year.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it sounds to me like you've teed up the most fun design project ever with all the amazing talent that you have there at
1: Sharp. We have so that, would, great that would mind. be a blast. And you know what I find too, again, going back to that respect for talent and for humanity, when you give people that chance to shine, they will. And I think um, in this next norm, we're going to have to give people the chance to shine. And as an industry, you know, healthcare and education are kind of slow to move on innovation. If we, in my dream world, we would create innovative environments where we encourage innovation and we lay out a problem and say, how can we solve this? And then make make the risk acceptable to do. I think we're going to see innovations and experience that we have not seen in 20 years.
0: I'm excited for the work that you do. I think that'll be great.
1: I am so excited about this new norm because I feel like if we've learned anything during COVID, it is that we in healthcare need to be more nimble and agile to change. And we're going to have to move ourselves into thinking at the speed that an Amazon or um, Uber or anywhere that's using technology to, to um, meet people where they are we in healthcare are going to have to kind of do that too and not assume that people will come to us because we're here. But we're going to have to go to where people are, where they're feeling emotionally or um, safe or unsafe and create something different with their partnership.
0: And that's a a fantastic way to sort of summarize where you see the future going, because I do think it's gonna be very mutually inclusive I think it's going to take everyone to design the best experiences and not only collecting, but utilizing data and leveraging it so that the experiences are predictable and intentional and intimate and thoughtful all at the same time. So I'm excited to see what you come up with.
1: I am too. We'll have this conversation again in five years. (laughs) Awesome. I can't
0: wait. And that's a great place for us to kind of Put a pin in it for today. And thank you again, Cassandra, for taking the time to be with us today on the Healthcare Soothsayers podcast. Thank you, Bonnie. Absolutely. And be sure to check out the show notes for this show to find Cassandra's contact information and to learn more about her work. And thanks again for being with us today. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics for guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health.